Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. To get us started on that, Katie's going to come forward. And we're reading from the Gospels today, so this is a great chance. Let's stretch our legs. We'll stand to greet our risen King, and we'll hear the alive words of the Lord from Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the rule of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea and Herod was ruler over Galilee, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. The people were filled with expectation, and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus Jesus also was baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Thank you, Katie. You may be seated. I'm going to set my coffee down. Apparently, I'm drinking too much coffee, and I'm just buzzing all the time. (laughs) Oh, it's good. So, Christ has risen, and it is Easter season. Uh, Easter breaks into our world. And this brings us to the final subplot of Act 4 in our big story. We've been talking about this idea of a big enough story for months and months and months, and we've got about two months left to go. Uh, Very soon, it will be the season of Pentecost, and we will move into Act 5, and how Jesus uses the church as the foretaste and uses his resurrection as the foretaste of how the world is going to be recreated. And so that's still ahead. Uh, We'll get into the early church and we'll finish uh, with Revelation chapter 22. We'll bring our story to conclusion. But we still have a little bit longer with Jesus in the flesh still. And uh, that's what we're going to spend some time with. This is the final part of the subplot of Act 4 because we started Act 4 with Jesus being born, and then we saw Jesus' life, and then we saw Jesus' death, and now Jesus is alive again, this resurrected, risen king uh, who has, who has uh, birthed new creation in the world. And so today what I want to do is tie together the story Uh, with where we've been and with where we are going. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
and at Epiphany, if you remember all the way back to Advent and Epiphany and Christmas season, what we found was all the ways that Jesus is the truth that restories everything in the light of who he is, the great dazzling light of Christ, the Epiphany light shines, and through his light, all things are restoried. He is the truth. And then at Lent, we sat with this theme of selfdom versus kingdom, my way versus thy way, and this collision of kingdoms. And we explored all the ways that Jesus is the way that we are invited to follow. And then now at Easter, Jesus rises and we see afresh how many ways Jesus is the life that we needed this whole time. Jesus is the truth and the way and the life. And if there's one reality that ties all of those three things together uh, and all of those three seasons together, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, it's baptism. Baptism anchors all of those things together. And the next time that we're all here together, next week is House Church Week. We'll talk about that here in just a bit. But the next time we're all back here at the Kalen Center together on April 30th, we are going to be welcoming a handful of new members into the family of God through baptism. I think we have roughly 15-ish baptisms that we're going to participate in together. Uh, and we're also going to speak words of blessing and belovedness over other children through dedication. And uh, this is just another way that life is breaking into this community. You know, everything Andy shared, everything that Jeff shared, new house churches, our house church, uh, uh, church uh, model continuing to grow. There's lots of ways that we're seeing new life, but perhaps the most beautiful and meaningful of all is what's happening next week at baptisms. These new members of the kingdom, of the family of God, joining in. And baptism is one of the two great sacraments of the church, and everybody participates in it. That's one of the things I love about baptism in the Anglican tradition. We all have an opportunity to renew our baptismal vows. And so I want to ask you, if you are a part of the parish community, Baptism Sunday is not a day to miss. We all have a role to play. It's not just for those being baptized and their families. It is for all of us to have an opportunity to remember our own baptisms and to recommit to Jesus, who is the truth and the life and the way. And so to get us ready for that great celebration, I want to spend a few minutes just reflecting on baptism. Uh, next time we're here, we'll talk through the liturgy and we'll get ourselves ready for the details. But, but first and foremost, let's reflect on what is happening at baptism. And the text puts it really simply today, and I love how simply Luke puts it. Uh, it's just this line of when everybody was being baptized, Jesus was baptized also. Uh, isn't that great? Like Jesus just joins in the party. It's like he came here to be a part of this thing. And everybody else is getting baptized, so Jesus is baptized too. It's like if everybody else jumped off a bridge, is Jesus going to jump off a bridge too? You know, but he, uh, he joins in baptism. And uh, the question for me then is why? Because John's baptism is a baptism of repentance, and yet Jesus has nothing to repent of. Right? The whole concept here is that Jesus is the sinless one. Jesus is the one who leads a life of faithfulness unto God. And so why does he need to join into a baptism for repentance? And I think the answer might be that he didn't, but he knew that we did. He knew that we did. And something is happening mysterious here. It is as if Jesus is carrying the whole world with him into his baptism. It is as if all creation is gathered up 
and submerged into the muddy waters of the Jordan. And in this sense, this is a picture of Holy Saturday. It is Jesus and the world with him carried into abyss, carried into darkness, carried into death. The God who is submissive brings the world with him into death, but also the God who is triumphant brings the whole world with him into life. And so creation comes up out of those waters as a new creation. And it's fascinating, in Luke's version of the story, it ends with this genealogy. It jumps, it's the only one of the Gospels, it jumps from the baptism of Jesus, and before Jesus goes into the wilderness, which is what typically happens in the flow, there's this strange interlude of a genealogy, and all these names, this person begat this person, who begat this person, who begat this person. Why does Luke place it there? Wynne Collier, who's one of my faculty advisors, points out, and, and Wynne had a lot to say about all of these concepts, which has been really helpful for me in preparing for today. But he pointed out that, that this may be our clue, Jesus' baptism and then this genealogy may be our clue that something seismic and cosmic is happening here. It is as if all stories and all histories and all families and all peoples are gathered up into the one person, Jesus, submerged into death and led into the possibility of new life. And so Jesus, who will be led into the wilderness of sin and into the Good Friday death, carries the world with him into those realities, but we know the story is that resurrection wins the day, and what happened to Jesus at Easter is the invitation of what might happen to us as we follow in his way. And so, baptism is this great participation in the Easter event. It is as the baptized ones, as all of us, a form of participation in Christ's life and death and resurrection. And we with Jesus are brought into the waters. We're plunged into his death. We are brought up with him into his rising. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in us and shaping new creation in us. And our lives then begin to bend around the baptism of Jesus such that they don't have to bend around everything else anymore. And so fear no longer has to dominate my life because I've been baptized into the death and new life of Jesus. Striving no longer has to dominate my life because I've been baptized into the life and death of Jesus. And so on, manipulation, control, false power, all of the things that we see breaking our world, we are allowed to leave in the waters as we are risen up into something new, into the Easter event. But baptism also then places us squarely in the Lenten event as well because it brings us to that intersection, that crossroads, that collision of kingdoms, my way or God's way, which is the choice I'm going to make. When we come up out of the waters, we have this opportunity to reflect on what was spoken over Jesus when he came up out of the waters. Those words, you are my beloved child, and I love you deeply. You are the pride of my life. With you I am well pleased. And it's interesting, Jesus hears these words and he is immediately then led into the wilderness where he is tempted to function out of every lesser identity than the one spoken just over him. And this is a picture of our lives. Belovedness is spoken over us in God's kingdom and then we live in this wilderness world that is constantly offering us lesser ways of understanding what life is all about. And so we have that collision Selfdom and kingdom, or we may want to say a wandering identity of the selfdom versus a baptismal identity of the kingdom. Which one are we going to walk in? 
my wandering identity, my baptismal identity. You know, our world urges us, like, you be you, you do you, (laughs) you know, figure out who you are, wander around and find what seems best to you. But we don't know how to answer the question that comes before that, which is, yeah, but who am I? Right? And I think we all find that in our lives, like this question of who, but really, who, I am, who am I? And so identity is this major theme in culture right now. It's something I wanted to get into in Lent, but we didn't end up having time to. Identity is this major theme, and yes, there is something of my identity which I am invited to discern and discover in cooperation with God. There is something about me figuring myself out over the course of life. But without a foundation, that kind of process, figure out who you are, leads to what is now being called choice overwhelm. It's, I could be anything? I can, I can be anything? Well, then how do I even know where to begin? There's so many options. It becomes overwhelming. We need a bigger foundation to find out how we are invited to live, who we are invited to be. Baptism gives us that foundation. Baptism gives us the foundation because before any identity I might uncover for myself, there is an identity that is uttered over me, that is spoken over me, that is given to me. The baptism belovedness words, you are my child. With you, I am pleased. And we live from that and we know we've got the foundation right. It's as if God says, or it's as God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And so I love how Eugene puts it, Eugene Peterson, uh, he says in this quote, our lives are not puzzles to be figured out. Rather, we come to God who knows us and reveals to us the truth of our lives. The fundamental mistake is to begin with ourselves and not God. God is the center from which all life develops. My identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There is something previous to what I think about myself and it is what God thinks of me. Love those words. And so when Jesus comes out of those waters, we find that Epiphany shows up too. And in fact, Pentecost shows up too. There is a bright light, there is a voice that speaks, the dove descends, you are my child. And when Collier points out that because those words were said to Jesus, and if it is true that we were with Jesus brought into the baptism event, then we can understand that those words are being spoken over our lives as well, and everything else turns on our ability to hear and receive those words. Because if we do not hear the words of belovedness as our first and most foundational identity words, then we cannot understand any other words that may come later. We will mistake them, we will misappropriate them, we will live from and live for wilderness words. And this is what breaks the world apart. And so I want to end today with two long quotes, and I just, uh, just get ready for them. They're, they're long you are going to want to spend some time with these. And so uh, you can snap a picture if you want, but don't miss just receiving these. And I just want to read them over us as we uh, conclude and begin to come to the table. First of all, these words from Wynn Collier. He says, if we are not grounded in the unflinching love of God, if we haven't allowed the death and resurrection and new creation realities of our baptism to be our truest story, then we will exert immense energy 
trying to get someone or something else to tell us that belovedness word, and there lies the deep. We try to get a job, an accomplishment, a relationship, a book deal, or a bottle of scotch to tell us. Without belovedness, the wilderness ravages us. Yet to really hear these words requires a baptism, a dark, murky descent into the waters where we are drowned in love's strange mercy. It's here we come to the end of ourselves. It's where everything we thought we brought to the game dies a devastating death. Here we die. And then these words, following up on them, they're from Erasmo Levia Mercacus, and uh, this is an older commentary, and it is just loaded. So he says, here, in Jesus being baptized, the holy unexpected occurs. The more powerful one, whom John had declared was coming, and would baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire, comes to request John's inferior and symbolic baptism of water. The one to whom the mind and heart must turn in a gesture of repentance himself teaches us that gesture by submitting to his own minister, to John the Baptist. He who is the living kingdom of God in his own person puts on the penitential garb and recites prayers of contrition for our, own, for our sinful flesh, which he has now taken on. He lays aside his glory on the banks of the Jordan and, for the sake of humanity, prefers nakedness and, ch and the chill of muddy waters in the desert to the adoration of the angelic orders." God's holiness must descend to the level of humanity if humanity is to be inflamed by the fire of God's holiness. Before he utters any teaching, Christ's first revelation of the interior being of God occurs in this gesture of humility, his baptism. Now here's the good stuff. From now on, how can the creature... How can any one of us consider ourselves worthless in the sight of the Creator if the Creator has shown his loving preference for his creature by really condescending to our level, deep in the purifying waters of the Jordan? From now on, the creature will be forever haunted by the dignity the Creator has shown us to have if we will only take the path of penance and regeneration. And finally, God desires the sinner to turn away from the darkness of our own nothingness and void, and come to himself to draw life from his life. Sin is grounded in an illusion concerning my own alleged greatness and worth in my own eyes. Repentance is grounded not in a desire to abase myself, but in a clear understanding and profound vision of my great worth in the eyes of God. The Christian's authentic sense of self-worth consists in this conviction that I have both the right and the possibility to quench a thirst that is the expression of the noblest part of my being. Friends, we have been given in baptism the right and the possibility to quench a thirst that is at the heart of the noblest part of your being, who God made you to be, the deepest of the deepest of the deepest cries of your heart are given expression in baptism and funded toward life and expression in the kingdom of God. This is what we enter into in our baptismal life. And it sets us on a course and it gives us a foundation and it helps us endure the wilderness and it leads us out into the life that is to come. Let's pray. So Jesus says we come to this table now. We are mindful of 
how often we do not live from that noblest expression of our being, but from those lesser ways, those wilderness ways, those words that say that we are at stake and that we are not safe and that we must fend for ourselves and we must fear for ourselves. As we enter into Easter season, God, would you help us hear the voice that calls us the beloved a little bit deeper this year than last year? We know we are in a lifelong process of learning to hear that voice and learning to let go of the lesser ways, of the lesser words, but would you help us to believe you to hear those words, to walk in newness of life. In the name of Jesus, amen.